100.7 FM WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight, exclusively by FNM Bank. 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. Right here in Hendersonville, FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC, equal housing lender. MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlights, Tony Richards. Good morning and welcome to Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning and every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. right here on WHIN. Brought to you exclusively by FM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or at myfmbank.com. And we're going to have two guests today. And the first one probably doesn't need an introduction, although he hasn't had a lot to do lately. <laughs> Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators. Pete, good morning and welcome to the program. Well, good morning and thank you so very much. And if it weren't for interviews... I'd have absolutely nothing to do. <laughs> well, we're, we're glad we could give you something to do besides, you know, clean the house or whatever. I don't know. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, Pete, what we always like to do is, is uh, you know, the first segment is just kind of get to know uh, you. You know, we've had so many new folks and new Predators fans move into the area. Um, we thought we'd maybe just kind of go through your career a little bit. What the heck got you into hockey? What's wrong with you? <laughs> it was actually... Uh professionally the first sport I got to do uh, and uh, that takes me back to uh, when I just had gotten out of college and I stayed in South Bend and did the games of Notre Dame hockey uh, both on a campus uh, radio station and then a, uh, an NBC affiliate and did those games there for a couple of years and it's, I, I added other sports in the interim but uh, it's, it was the start for me. It was the it was my foundation. Well, how did you end up missing the brand new facility they built for hockey up there? What's up with that? Have you seen it? <laughs> yes, I've seen it, and I missed it because I'm so darned old. Is that it? Okay, I was just checking. I was, <laughs> yeah, I was uh, there at Notre Dame from uh, undergrad and grad from 1969 through 1976. So. Uh, well, we all know you have to be pretty smart to get in Notre Dame. So, so, and, and you chose hockey anyway because you're pretty smart. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. And uh, my second love is baseball. So I've been fortunate enough to do uh, over 2,000 games of each, hockey primarily at the NHL level and baseball at the AAA level. And uh, I know it sounds two different tempos of games to, to announce, but uh, both of them really have redeeming qualities for me. Well, yeah, you get to breathe uh, in baseball, and in hockey you can't <laughs> stop talking, right? <laughs> Right. And particularly, Tony, since the sport returned after the year we lost to the lockout uh, in 2004-2005, all of the rules have quickened the pace of play. So right. while in the early days we had time to tell stories every now and then, you don't have time to tell stories unless you're in the intermissions of the postgame. Right. Well, you know, it's interesting because in baseball, I know they uh, I, I was wondering if, if that really is working because, you know, many of the games still take a while. I know they've done different things. And and I think at the sounds, there's a 20 second clock between pitches or whatever. So, I mean, do you really feel that it's 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 moved that game along? I think that it has. Uh, and I'd like to be able to tell you firsthand from observation right now if it still has or <laughs> not. Right, yeah, exactly. There. But since I none mean, of us will know... Um. Well, yeah, I watched the Korean baseball organization on occasion, 
on ESPN, which seems more than a little bit strange when they have cheerleaders and no crowd. Uh, I, that was very intriguing interesting choice. Yeah, that is uh, that is weird. So your travels have sort of taken you around in your career. I know you, I don't know if it was up through the upper Midwest or whatever, and, and you, can you tell us a little bit about that? All right, I started in my hometown of Galesburg, Illinois. Uh, I graduated early uh, to take advantage of an opening they had. They were looking for a sports director, and I guess we all know what small town radio is like. I also interviewed the fire chief on Saturday mornings. Yeah. Um, and did the, the hog market reports and all that, uh, but uh, I can still fall asleep going 25,000 cattle, 300 lamb, 400 sheep, but uh, we can do things like that uh, <laughs> on the morning shows. Uh, and then I went back to Notre Dame, got my graduate degree, did weekend sports on the NBC affiliate, Channel 16 there, plus I was in the same house to do Notre Dame hockey on the weekends. I, I did that for a couple of years after graduation, then moved to Buffalo, New York, to a, a brand-new all-news station to do sports. And then after two years there and covering everything and doing more college hockey, University of Buffalo, I got uh, called to the West Coast to join the Los Angeles Kings broadcast and uh, was there for three years, up to Seattle for a year during the Seattle Supersonics on local television, back to Buffalo where I did absolutely everything, and then... Uh, my wife and I got this little notice on the old Prodigy Internet service. Oh, my. The NHL, <laughs> the NHL was awarding provisional franchises to Nashville, Atlanta, Columbus, Ohio, and Minneapolis-St. Paul. So I thought... You know, who would have thought that Minneapolis-St. Paul would be a conditional franchise? Really? You know, isn't well, that, isn't that weird looking, looking back, you know? Yeah. They were going to meet the conditions easily. Right. That right. And uh, so it was going to be released over a three-season thing. Nashville would start first in the fall of 98. Atlanta would start in 99. And then the other two, Columbus and Minneapolis-St. Paul, would start in the year 2000. So I called to my wife downstairs from my office. I said, boy, you know, with your folks living over in Knoxville, wouldn't holidays be a lot nicer for us if we lived in Nashville? And the... Uh, answer to that was immediately a yes so then i used that high speed prodigy dial-up service to find craig leopold the founding owner of the predators located him in racine wisconsin and federal express by materials to him the very next day and then kept following up for a year until finally a trip to uh, knoxville and borrowing my father-in-law's car drove over fourth of july uh, period of time in 1998 and interviewed with the predators people in person after having met up with them at the draft in Buffalo uh, in June of 98. And then by August, I just, I'm going through things in the garage. And I found documentation that showed I had signed on the dotted line by August 20th of 98 for a training camp that would open up on September 12th. How about that? That is cool. Sorry, I guess that was my Mel Allen there. How about that? Uh <laughs> it was a very good Mel Allen. I just thought you might say something about a white owl wallet. <laughs> so you know, um, so you've been with the Preds from the very, very beginning. You're just, you're just, you you can't go anywhere anymore, and and this is it because you're just, you're just like, uh, you know, <laughs> part of the ice, I guess. I don't know. Is that is that what you is that what you ultimately wanted? I mean, did you ultimately want to land somewhere and stay at that point after, you know, hopping around a little? Yeah, I've never 
been any place longer now than I have been in Nashville. I guess the closest would be uh, roughly 20 years over two different uh, stints in Buffalo. But even there, I, I moved a couple of times. I've been in the same house here since uh, I closed on it the day of the first Music City Bowl in December. Oh, of my. Yeah. Well, that's great. So you're a Nashville native for the most part. Nobody's lived here that long, has have they? <laughs> <laughs> you, talk, you know something that is kind of fun? Because I often will ask people, you grow up here because I'll be able to tell for yeah, they're they're they're, uh, they're rare. I'll tell you that. Yes, very so, rare indeed. Well, you know, I know hockey enough, and uh, I, I'm a I'm from originally from Fort Wayne, Indiana, where I think we have still the longest running. Well, I I want to say IHL franchise, but the Fort Wayne Comets and Bob yeah, Chase, Bob Chase, who's for many years I listened to him on WoWo, who's a, sort of a legend in the hockey world, and. And he loved being on WoWo because it it would get up into Canada where all the players' moms and dads could hear him. Right. You know. And almost got him a job with the St. Louis Blues because they could hear it there too. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's it's a kind of a small fraternity, really. Uh, But geez, just talking to him a little bit, I know some stories. My goodness, you have got (laughs) in your travels. I wouldn't even know where to begin, but I'm dying to ask you about some of the great stories you've had. Well, let's see, travels. Uh, going into shortly after the NHL merge with the WHA, uh, that was after my first year with the LA Kings. So in the fall of 79, we had four new cities to begin with. Quebec City, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Hartford. Oh, my Lord. And, uh, Quebec City is not easy to get to. <laughs> uh, especially in those days when we traveled commercially. Yeah. So to get, to get back to Los Angeles from Quebec City, I remember one time, and I was the on-the-road, uh, in addition to doing the color commentary, the, the travel coordinator. It took three flights, yeah. about 12 hours of travel, exactly. back to Los Angeles from Quebec City. So, uh, yeah, that was a little difficult. And then I had to take all of these Los Angeles-grown, raised reporters around Quebec City because at least I could had a, you know, running commentary in French that I could carry on with. Yeah, I mean, it's beautiful yeah. there. Don't get me wrong. Oh, but... is it ever. Matter of fact, that's where my wife and I ended up on No we kidding. Chateau Frontenac. Yep, Chateau Frontenac, but we were married in Buffalo, so it was an easy uh, Canadian rail pass way up there. Right, if it's, and, not, uh, it's not really on people's radar, but boy, if you want a nice place to go. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There and Montreal, where we also stopped on during all of that. And I thought it was funny a little aside, on the train trip back to Buffalo, as we're getting ready to go back to real life, a uh, guy on the train asked us, well, where are you guys from? We were telling him, you know, he was telling us he was from Detroit. Said, where are you guys from? We go, Buffalo. Buffalo, what a horrible city. <laughs> and we're thinking, this guy is from Detroit with their reputation right now? <laughs> yeah. I think I think we got it over on him. That is for sure. <laughs> So, you know, in the minor leagues, it, it always sort of cracks me up. I, I've always wondered how announcers could, with some of these ices they have, there are so many logos on them, I don't even know how you can follow the puck. Well, when I started, there weren't that many logos on the ice, and certainly not on the sideboards either. Right, that right. It only came on pretty much in the 80s. As a matter of fact, television was so difficult back in that time when I started in the game that you would get this hum on your TV set because the white level was such, as the engineers would tell you, so hot, oh. and it would do that. So many 
started uh, putting a little powder blue paint on the ice to reduce that. Is that what that was? I remember that. Yeah. So that was the the solution to that at that time because if you still have that super white ice and our old rudimentary graphics came up on the screen, it would sound like you had just plugged 15 guitars into one AC outlet and you got that horrible room. Oh, my gosh. Well, we've already established your wife is a saint if you've been traveling like that, and she's still with you, so that's a given. (laughs) Not only is she a saint, she works for Catholic Charity. Oh, she's even better than that, then. That's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Um, So how, you know, with that and family and, you know, your wife and, and, and the travels, how, you know, was it just over time everybody learned to adapt or... Well, my wife has a sign that uh, says, we've been married for X number of years because of road trips. (laughs) That's the key to a marriage lasting. If I would have only known. (laughs) Yes. So, as an example, I already talked about that entire year we lost to a lockout in 2004-2005. Yeah. It got to be mid-November of that year, so roughly six, six and a half weeks into the normal schedule. And she said, would you take a road trip? So I thought, well, winter baseball meetings are coming up, and they're in Anaheim. I think I'll go. Yeah. And uh, so that was what preserved this. That's, uh, well, so basically when Pete retires, he'll be holding a marriage counseling business or something because... I'm going to be the new Dr. Phil. There you go. Well, hey, we're up against our first break. We're talking with Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators, and we're going to come back right after these messages uh, here on Sumner County Spotlight. We appreciate you joining us, and we'll be back with Pete right after these messages. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. We are back on Sumner County Spotlight this morning, brought to you by FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard, and of course, available everywhere at myfmbank.com. And we are, uh, I think, honored. We really are, and very lucky to have this guest on today. Everybody knows him, Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators, and we're really you know, pretty fortunate to have him as a part of the Predators from, for this long in this business. And Pete, it's just, you are fast becoming, if you're not already, the voice of Nashville. Well, thank you very much for that. And You know, I, I always wanted also to be part of the birth of a franchise. And I didn't care if it was going to be hockey, baseball, football. Uh, well, boy, did you get your wish. Yes. Aren't you glad it, it wasn't with it, the Cubs back in 08 when you started? You know, <laughs> it would have been 100 and... <laughs> <laughs> like they say, every team can have a bad century. And the Cubs certainly did. Uh, well, the Pred sure didn't. I mean, in in no. in sports franchise world, it was a, a great rocket ride, really. Yes, and I'm glad you brought up the Cubs because I grew up a Cardinals fan. Yeah. Staunchly, a Stan Musial guy, and I was a Cardinals fan most easily probably because I saw what being a Cubs fan had done to my father. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm telling you, my father, my father made me a, my father made me a Cub fan, and there's not much I can really do about it. So, I wore, I wore my 1908 World Championship for the first 52 years of my life, and now I'm wearing the, the new 2016 version. So, well, I mean, when you consider the previous time they won the World Series, Wrigley Field didn't even exist yet. 
Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and the Cardinal fans are very podcast. quick. Uh, the Cardinal fans point that out constantly to me. Um, yep, <laughs> but yep. we never really looked at you as competitors because, you know, we never won, so it didn't really matter. That's right. <laughs> to have a true rivalry, somebody must win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I was one of those weird ones. I love Joe Torre. I, I, I love Daryl uh, Porter. And, and I, Anyway, yeah. so we won't go there. We're, we digress. Back to hockey. Yes. So we've had this weird, you know, year, 2020, the year that we would all like to forget. But it affected hockey. Um, The call was made early, and now there's uh, the call of something new and a new way of doing it. Yeah, and I'm trying to think what it did not affect, every aspect of our lives. But, yes, Mm -hmm. we were in Toronto. We had just played a game the previous night in Montreal uh, on March, what, March 10th. And on March 11th, sitting around waiting to go out to dinner and saw that Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz had been diagnosed with COVID-19, and so they called off the game they were to play the, that night. Right. Well, didn't they, they were the full, first to pull the trigger, right? I mean, they... Correct. They did it immediately. Uh, well, first they called that game off, and then shortly that night, uh, the NBA made the announcement that uh, it's time to hit the pause button. And I thought, with the close relationship between the NBA and the National Hockey League and the fact that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman had come and was taught uh, in the NBA by David Stern that it was likely the NHL would follow suit quickly and boy did they ever and but he didn't know back then that it was going to continue to last as long as it has right now which has made me go back historically a little bit mm-hmm. because in 1918, 1919, the so-called Spanish flu, I understand after my studies that that's an inaccurate representation, but that's what it's known as, uh, cost almost, well, more people so far than have passed in the United States, and it also cost the NHL a Stanley Cup playoff and it cost a, a great oh, NHL player. Yeah. I, didn't, so I did, did not, not know that. Cup, did not award a cup in 1919. There's a a vacancy on the cup if you go up to the Hockey Hall of Fame and can see that. Well, are so, we going to award one in 2020? plan is yes. And I think they will be able to do so, but it's taking so many different entities. It's taking the uh, CDC. It's taking World Health Organization. It's taking local and regional governments to cooperate to make sure this can happen. But the structure is in place, and players are beginning to... Now, the Predators still have 11 players here in Middle Tennessee. Others were scattered around the world, but they're beginning to come back. They will be allowed to have informal skating and workout sessions, I think in groups of six is what the release said, to get ready for what they hope in uh, early to mid-July for the onset of actual training camps, and then go into probably the first week of August and start a 24-team tournament, 12 teams in each of the two conferences, East and West, in you know what will be neutral sites for the most part, uh, particularly if Los Angeles is involved because the Kings and Ducks are not in the playoff picture right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will be the play down to the Stanley Cup being awarded, and they hope sometime, you know, maybe September. Well, the good news, if there is any, is there's time to prep and get ready because if I'm a trainer, I'm freaked out if I'm in baseball trying to get these guys back in because I think 
the IR in baseball when this fires up this year is going to be a mess. Particularly for pitchers. Well, yeah, good point. So, so, but there, it it looks like this is sort of well laid out, and that these guys really can get back in shape. Because I don't, I'll be blunt, I don't know that anything you need to be in better shape uh, is it soccer or hockey because you just never stop moving. You, you know, right, nonstop. And hockey is really a series of sprints rather than a marathon. Yes, it's just the key is, <clears throat> and that's where you're talking. So one of the great things about hockey, and, and, you know, we've had a lot of, you know, it wasn't like everybody flooded to the games at first, um, and a lot of the move-ins and people from the north and wherever that knew a lot uh, more about hockey, and, you know, we've certainly grown a great, great fan base, nationally recognized fan base, by the way. Um, oh, yeah. For the people that have never tried it, and I, I just, I'm such a huge proponent of people trying uh, something they don't know anything about. You can go to a hockey game and literally not know anything and have the best time of your life. Yes, and that's the key. There are so many sports fans who think they have to know all the rules, all the nuances before they have a chance of having a good time. And what you just said about hockey, I think, is very, very accurate. And it, it, there's, you know, there's lots of things that happen often, so it's relatively easy to learn for the new folks that want to do it. And I'm just trying to encourage everybody to always, you got to go to a Preds game or any, find a place to go to a hockey game because within the first period, by the end of the first period, you'll probably know what offsides means. You'll probably know what icing means. You'll learn really, really quickly. Um, it's an easy thing to understand, and it's it's just the best time. I, I've just people seem to really cut loose pretty quickly. Yeah, you know, everybody loves to see a fight. Blah blah blah. It's always the same thing. We go to races for wrecks. We go to hockey games for fights. But you know, not the true hockey fans. I agree. I agree. And now the, the only bad thing about all this, Tony, is we're, when we start back out again this summer. As I understand it, we're going to at least start with no fans in the stands. None at all. So that, They're not even going to do a you know a few every row or anything, or no, sir. Uh, that's pretty much what the CDC has asked all the sports to do. Uh, the NFL is acting as if they'll be able to have fans in the stands. I know my wife's alma mater, Ohio State, says yeah, they've got about 100,000 seats there for football. They think they can safely seat 15,000. Oh my goodness. I'll, what are you going to do safely to tell the other 85,000 they can't come in? Well, let alone, you know, the longer this goes on, I think people sometimes forget it's a business. Um, and I don't care how wealthy you are. Um, if you've got something that can drain that amount of money that quickly, uh, I don't care how much money you have. It goes away. That's right. That's right. And so. I just hope the owners don't uh, get nervous and cold feet and say the heck with it, you know. Well, they all seem to be on board, at least on the hockey side. They, they really want to continue and conclude this season and get a couple awarded. And they also know it's a fluid situation. If the CDC sees after, say, two of the uh, four playoff rounds that figures for the, for the uh, COVID have gone down, mm -hmm. uh, they might allow at least some fans in the state. Yeah. But the thing is, we are going to be in neutral sites. So it still won't be like that which to which we become. Well, let's talk. About, let's let's talk a little bit about the evolution of the Preds. I mean, you were there at the beginning. You've watched the ebb and flow. You've watched 
the championship games. You've, you know, can you tell us a little bit about your experience through through that period, and even in yeah. even your your observations of the fans and how all that has evolved and changed? Absolutely, and, and I got to tell you, I think I was trained very well when I got here by having done the sport in another non-traditional market for three seasons in Los Angeles because mm-hmm. you know, Jack Kent Cook was our founding owner <clears throat> and uh, Graham Poobah and here he was, a guy who was born in Hamilton, Ontario, brought up in Toronto and he always said that he wanted to have that hockey franchise in LA beating out the owner of the Rams to own it by the way because mm-hmm. there were 350,000 ex-Canadians living in Southern California. Oh. Then he came on the earth and he goes, I didn't realize that they moved here because they hated hockey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so- well, you know, and it is funny because, you know, in a town like L.A., I don't know that you can get the sense of community like we ha- have and have ended up with in Nashville. Right. And, and, but isn't it interesting, though, that both are very transient Yes, I, I yeah. think that that's interesting too. So I was helping to teach hockey in the relative early days in that market. They started in '67. I got there in '78. So I was, you know, in that rubber chicken circuit and the mm-hmm. uh, rubber uh, breakfast biscuit circuit mm-hmm. as well for three years there, spreading the gospel of the game. And then finally, uh, after I left in '81, it took a little while. I got to the Cup final in '93 lost in five games to the Montreal Canadiens, and then got back and won two cups in 2012 and 2014. And I saw how the, tra- the trade of Wayne Gretzky from Edmonton to Los Angeles in August of 88 turned that market around. And yeah. had that trade not happened, you are not interviewing me right now. You know what I think? Very, yeah, yeah. I don't think there'd be a Predators team if Wayne Gretzky had not been traded to the Sunday. You know, when you think one person can't make a difference, good or bad, they really do. I, you know, there would there would be no LP Field in Indianapolis, Indiana, if it weren't for Peyton Manning. I can tell you that right now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Peyton Manning, what he did there, and really, that stadium is just one deck less than Jerry World down in Arlington, Texas. It's basically the same design. Yes, and I think I'm getting my my fuel companies mixed up. But anyway, yeah, yeah, Lucas Oil. Sorry, you can tell where I I live now, right? (laughs) (laughs) An old LP field when I first came. But anyway, um, so Philadelphia Coliseum. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think we can officially say you. And I don't want to embarrass you, but I, I really do. And I'm not blowing you smoke. I'm just saying I think you've officially hit legendary status at this point because of your. You know, like you were saying earlier, you're trying to teach people what hockey is from coast to coast, let alone, you know, here in the Mid-South. Yeah, no, I, I, I came directly here from a great hockey market in Buffalo with that training in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Buffalo was a minor league hockey city from the 30s until 1970. And who would have known that in 1970, my longtime broadcast partner here, Terry Crisp, playing on that last minor league team Buffalo had before the Sabres started. Wow. And uh, then here we go. And uh, Crispy and I have been here essentially since that first So are you going to do this like uh, Vin Scully and Bob Chase and just do it until you don't? Or <laughs> do you have a – well, probably? I know I'm not going to really get an answer, but I just thought I'd ask anyway. <laughs> well, 
Well, if it's my if it's my choice, I'm just going to keep on doing. It. Yeah. Uh, you know, Vince uh, Scully, and you know, I was, is he the longest running guy? Wasn't it like 62 years or whatever it was? Or well, you know, he and Bob Chase are going to be very very close now. The late Bob Chase. Yes. But Ben uh, went 67 seasons. I know they were going back and forth teasing each other a lot. Yeah, and uh, my partner with the LA Kings, Bob Miller, had started there in 1973. He had to retire a couple of years ago because of a heart condition. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, he said, if I am going to equal Ben Scully, I have to keep doing this until I'm 98 or 99 years old. So uh, those are challenges that are <laughs> rather large. Especially hockey. That might be a good time to switch to baseball. <laughs> yeah. And, and Bob went to the University of Iowa with Harry Callis. They were oh, no way. Oh, my gosh. Harry, Harry I Callis. forgot about Harry Bob Callis. Would, yeah. Bob and I would always visit with him. But you know how Harry Callis did his last broadcast. He was carried out dead out of. Oh, that's right. Oh my gosh, what a voice! Oh my, I forgot about that. He would. uh, When I was doing Buffalo Bills football, one day uh, I'm still in the pregame part of the broadcast, and the door to our booth at the now New Era Field opened, and I hear this great voice. Hey Pete, where's the bathroom around here? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, what was the other famous saying he had? He said something. It wasn't, oh, boy, but it was, you know, everybody sort of got a hook. Oh, well, he had he had many of them, and he actually started out with the uh, Houston Colt 45s. Yeah. After, after doing the Hawaii Islanders, uh, one of the last of the great uh, independent minor league baseball teams. Harry was just absolutely fantastic on both baseball and football. Never had the chance to hear him do basketball. But I did work with his son, Todd, who's now with the Houston Astros. Wow. So I, I will ask you, uh, you know, sort of the last question as you, you know, formed your career. And you're now, you you know, I'm sure you've met a lot of people you've sort of idolized along along the way, as we all have. Um, did you have certain people you did pattern yourself over or that, that, as you, you know, that you learned? If you heard the young version of me doing all those minor league baseball games, you definitely the influence of Harry Carey. Uh, <laughs> wow, you picked a good one. <laughs> listening to him as a kid, and I said, boy, talk to my parents. He's having a lot of fun doing what he's doing. Well, on, we all know why. I mean, you know, he got yeah, pretty, but he got pretty looped by the seventh inning. He was mispronouncing everybody's names. <laughs> yeah, he was getting paid for doing it, though, too. So he and Jack Buck and Joe Garagiola really captured my imagination. So I go to college and at Notre Dame, Who's our sports director at the campus station? Joe Garagiola, Jr. Uh, and then we have uh, Harry Carey coming with the White Sox to Toronto. And Toronto, Buffalo are essentially the same market. So I'd be at the Blue Jays games, and Harry would ask my dad's name again so we could say hello to him listening back in Illinois on the White Sox. You know, and he did have a way of making things local. Do you interject some of that? You know, everybody said, well, if you've got thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners, why would you mention one person? Because it would yeah. be so important. I mean, do you really try to work that? To that person. Okay. Yeah. If I get that chance, I definitely will. If somebody says, hey, we're here from Arkansas to take in the game, I'll say, well, what town and what's your name? And I'll try to work that. And I bet they just flip out. I think people, I don't know that the new guys coming up realize how important that local little twist is. I think much of that is because so much, so many of the younger broadcasters coming up now seem to have been totally schooled by television rather than radio. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think radio lends itself to that much better. I, I'll be honest. I don't know a lot of people that listen to the play-by-play on the television. I have so many that turn it down and in, in some markets and listen to the radio broadcaster, who may be different in some places than the, the television. Well, I'm, I'm happy for that here. Yeah, yeah. So you are the man, and uh, i got to tell you, we're ready for some sports here or something, don't you think? Yes, without any question. If, if you've got me watching Korean baseball <laughs> at 4 o'clock in the morning, I think that is food Do they have infields, or are they all dirt? That's what I'm uh, there are various configurations, uh, and some of them are, you know, the, the artificial turf fields and so on with the artificial turf infield. Not quite like what it was uh, in the 70s at Comiskey Park in Chicago, where they had an artificial turf infield and regular grass in the outfield. I thought that was just that. Oh, my gosh. So I do have to, if you're a Cards fan, which you are, yeah. right? Okay. Do you think Ozzy could have done the flips without the AstroTurf? I think they definitely were help. I'm not going to say they were performance enhancers. Because I was just watching the documentary on, on Lance uh, Armstrong. Uh, but uh, <laughs> oh, he was the best. Well, Pete, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, I'd love to have you on again and, and go the whole hour at some point if we can carve out some time. Uh, well, after the season begins, and we just can't wait. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to come on with you here this morning. Okay, thank you. That's Pete Weber, voice of the Nashville Predators. Lucky to have him here on WHIN for Sumner County Spotlight. And we'll be back with more of the program following these messages. Hang on. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Good morning and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight. This morning, I'm your host, Tony Richards. Very excited to have as our second guest, someone we've been trying to get on for a little bit uh, now and our schedules haven't worked out, but we're very glad to have Regina Bartlett, the CEO of TriStar in Hendersonville and Portland as our second guest. And good morning, Regina. Good morning, Tony. How are you this morning? I am good. I think hopefully we're all doing a little bit better in general. <laughs> That's right. And uh, and so you've had uh, you know quite an interesting career that, if I'm not mistaken, started out in nursing. Is that right? Uh, that's exactly right. Well, and I like to say, uh, so I'm still a nurse, right? I'm still. I'm well, still yeah, that's right. right. That's right. Once, once a nurse, <laughs> always a nurse. My, my daughter's that, a nurse. That's right. My daughter's a nurse, and she started her first day today on surgical oh, ICU. Oh my goodness! Surgical ICU. So she was really nervous last night. <laughs> Congratulations to her. She is starting an amazing career. Path, well, we think so say. too. So we're real proud of her, and yeah. uh, as I'm sure you are of all of your nurses. That's exactly right. As a matter of fact, my niece. I just graduated nursing school, actually the same nursing school that I went to in North Georgia. And and so she graduated in May and was going to have her pinning ceremony uh, in June. Of course, that's been postponed, and I was going to pin her, uh, which was really pretty special. Well, it really is that she went to your alma mater. How cool is that? I, I know, I know. I'm pretty proud of her. 
Well, what so, uh, yeah. when when you did this uh, your nursing career when you were in the in that uh, in that field day to day and 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 in the trenches doing all the hard work, what was the the part of nursing that you enjoyed doing the most? You know, uh, it's a great question. I've had uh, quite a quite a while to reflect back on my career. Actually, uh, at June 19th of this year, just a few weeks from now, I will have been in our company in HC Healthcare uh, for 42 years. Oh, congratulations. So, Isn't it nice when you can kind of be with the same group? Yeah, it's, fa- it's fabulous. Great company. But I tell you, in my clinical career when I started, uh, my career uh, back in 1978. Um, I, I started at the bedside on Med Surge, Medical Surgical Unit, uh, and did a variety of things through the course of my career, of course. But I really have a have a passion uh, still for that that bedside nursing on the Medical Surgical Unit. Right. Uh, you just like you had the connection with the patient in a way that you're able to really connect and, and build a relationship and get to know them and their families. And uh, so it's pretty special. Well, especially when, you know, you're seeing them, but aren't you really seeing them at their most vulnerable time? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, any of us, when we are, uh, when we are sick uh, or we're hurting in pain, we're scared, uh, anxious. I mean, we're all very vulnerable. In that moment, you can uh, yeah, you so, can come across as, as tough as you want, but boy, when you're in trouble, yeah. um, it's so great that's to have right. a, an right. advocate. And they always, you know, I know you always tell people to have advocates, but you know, nurses are advocates as well. Absolutely, absolutely, our nurses are our patients' biggest advocates sometimes. And I will tell you, um, through this COVID scenario uh, that's been so challenging and unprecedented for all of us. Our nurses and our caregivers, I just cannot, our first responders, EMS, all, all of the folks who have really been there for our patients and continue to be there for our patients, have really taken on that advocacy role even more mm-hmm. because of the limitation of our family connection with our patients because of uh, right. safety yeah, yeah. Uh, many of our patients, uh, most of our patients, all of our COVID patients cannot have family members with them. Uh, and so our, our caregivers take on an even more important role with that. Right, because the, at the point in your life when you want to be alone the least is when, you know, this right. kind of thing happens. And, you know, the, the nursing staff, as well as, you know, geez, everybody on the staff has to really step it up. That's right, absolutely, and they have, with across the board, I have just been amazed uh, at our team here and the work that they've done and the care that they continue to give every day, so very proud of them. Yeah, and Regina, didn't you notice, I mean, when things like this happen, which hopefully aren't very darn often, thank goodness, every, you know, 100, 100 years, it'd, it'd be nice if it was every 1,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> Once every 100 years, right. right. It'd be nice if it was 1,000 before the next one. But anyway, yeah. um, you know, you see leadership come through, don't you? I mean, you, you know, maybe even people you didn't expect on your staff, and boy, they just, they come through. And and uh, doesn't that really open your eyes a little bit, too? Yeah, oh, absolutely. You know, our, our company, uh, being with HCA Healthcare, I mean, we couldn't be with a a better company in in times of of stress. Uh, our company always stands up uh, for our employees, and they've done so unbelievably now uh, as we've gone through this and continue to go through this. So that leadership starts at the top, of course, 
But when you are faced with these kinds of circumstances, you see leadership, just as you said, come out across your organization in all kinds of ways. We have staff who have picked up and, and, and offered to go and help in places they're not accustomed to helping in. Uh, and figuring out new ways of doing things and ways to be innovative so that they connect better with their patients, just on and on and on. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Leadership steps up when yeah. times are challenging. And, and yeah. I don't think it's... it. It, it's really probably one of the more gratifying things for not only the leadership team there, but the uh, owners to when they see that happen. That wow, maybe you know, maybe we did do something right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, yeah, that, you're right. And leadership uh, is so important in times of stress, uh, and so we have that across the board here in lots of different. Uh, ways, both this virus and then the economic repercussions that are coming from some of the uh, those issues too, as we can move forward. So you know, it takes leadership across the board. Yeah, and so you know, your nursing career, and and the reason I kind of asked that or talked about that leadership thing is because you know you chose to go that route. You didn't you didn't have to. So what was it that kind of called you into you know some leadership roles because. You know, you've been a COO, CNO, and now you're you're running the place. Um, what was it that that drove you to that? Yeah, so that that's a great question, and again, one I've reflected on a lot. And, and when I tell this story, um, I, I always be I'm always sure to say I never sought out to begin with. It started out to be a CEO. It was never an aspiration I had. Uh, I've always been a firm believer in that the Lord puts you where you're, where you're supposed to be at the right time, the right place, mm -hmm. and that door went, opens when that time is right. Uh, and so I saw that happen here uh, in my career path when I started at, at Park Ridge Medical Center in Chattanooga is where I started. Uh, and I was there for 18 years. And through the course of my time there, I was afforded the opportunity to get into leadership roles in the nursing arena uh, and had opportunities to just do more and more things along the way. And I was, uh, I was really blessed to have some great mentors uh, and folks that took interest in me and helped me develop. Um, and so that was wonderful. And our company really is great about that too. Uh, then I had the opportunity to move here uh, in Hendersonville in 1998 um, and as the chief nurse. That's what brought us okay, to that uh, was Yeah, I was wondering what brought you to Hendersonville. Yeah, so. yeah that's, why, that's how we made our way here was uh, to be the chief nurse here at Hendersonville. Uh, and we really, all of our families in Chattanooga, and I really felt like we would go back there uh, and all, all of our family expected us to go back there at some point in time. You know, I'm back, telling you, uh, Sumner, County, <laughs> Sumner County has a way of getting uh, its hooks in you, you know? Doesn't it? So 22 years later, here we are. <laughs> so when, when I started here in 98 as the chief nurse, there was just something really special about this hospital, this community, and it just felt like home. Uh, and so uh, I really loved it. Uh, so I began to have, uh, just thinking about, you know, uh, doing more in leadership. I've always been really attuned to leadership and really find that uh, in leadership as far as what that allows you to do in leadership is it allows you to make a positive impact and difference in, in a broad way. 
uh, and really be able to make change happen in a, in a, in a broad way that, um, that affords you to make that positive impact. So, so I saw that here, and uh, as, as I had a couple of CEOs here when I was chief nurse, and they would move on, um, and so it just, I just, I just thought, you know, um, I think I might give that a try. I like to give that a try. Um, and, and so when, again, back when to was that, Regina? When did you? When? That, that was that was in uh, probably about the early mid 2000, 2003, 2004 uh-huh. time frame. Uh-huh. And, and so I started having conversations with my boss at the time. Uh, again, an HCA is a great developer of people and leaders. Uh, and so we set about a path to make that happen. Uh, so I really uh, needed to get a little bit of operational, broader operational experience. So I went to Skyline, uh, which is our sister facility uh, just down the road here in Davidson County. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was there for about two and a half years. Great experience. Uh, and then except, for the, the uh, except for the commute, it was a great experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, so, um, so I had the opportunity to come back here as CEO in 2007, and I was afforded that opportunity. So um, in September, we'll be 13 years as CEO well, that's here. that's wonderful. Is, that's great. So what, what, what do you like most about it? You know, I, I like most uh, about being able to just connect with our my colleagues here, our employees, our patients, our community. I love the community-based feel of of the hospital. Um, Some people, uh, they, they, they love that feel of large tertiary centers big, big facilities, and that's great. Um, but I just have this affinity to be at home here. So yeah. that's kind of what I love this. And, and so when you're talking about community, um, and maybe not just for yourself, but the hospital's involvement in the community, but I know you're involved in it as well, um, as well as many of your associates. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your personal involvement with the community and maybe the hospital and what you look for? Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I think uh, when I came back in 07, I've always felt like, particularly at a community level, it is extremely important. We are a big part of our community. Uh, we are a community hospital. Uh, we also are a big part of our, our economy here uh, in Sumner County. I think we're the second uh, largest employer in Hendersonville. I think we last time I checked seventh in Sumner County. So, so we have an impact. And so I've always thought it was very important. And, and I learned this from um, Dr. Frist, who was the founder of HCA many, many years ago, 50 plus years ago, uh, how important it was to reach out in the community because that's who we are and that's who we take care of. Mm-hmm. But it stuck with me. Uh, so here in Sumner County, uh, some of my passions that I've been uh, very involved with is the United Way of Sumner County. Actually, I was, uh, my husband and I have been part of the United Way uh, since since I started HCA 42 years ago. I was, uh, was really um, uh, introduced to United Way through a workplace campaign way back then, and uh, it, and they make such a difference in our communities. Well, and it's That's a good way. It's a good way to work with one organization that has such a broad reach. Yeah, you know. That, that's right. That's right. And do so much great work in the community that, that you live in. Uh, 
Uh, so I've been on the board there a couple times. Uh, the, the Chamber of Commerce extremely important to be part of the business community. Um, so I've, I'm actually just starting. Um, I've been on the Chamber board once for two terms before and then went off, and now we'll be coming back on the board. I'm excited about that. Start that up here in uh, July. Uh, to come back on the chamber board because that's I think that's very important. And then I'm a part of Ford Sumner, mm-hmm. um, and that is a public-private partnership, um, more than economic development for the county, but does that that organization just does a lot to help business and and mentoring and helping uh, educational offerings and so forth and so on. So very important. Uh, and then likewise, our leaders here at the hospital. Um, they do a lot of different things in connecting with Samaritan Center here locally, Cumberland uh, uh, Crisis Pregnancy, uh, and th- things that really connect in with our patients and our community, particularly in a healthcare way, at the YMCA, uh, so forth. Right. So, you know, when you think about the business end of it and, you know, you learn some operations and you're you're running this place um, and then it occurs to you, you're maybe the second largest employer in the county. Um, is it better if you don't think about that? Because it is a lot of responsibility if you sit and think about it. You know, you're so busy, probably, you know, you're in the trenches and you're doing the work. But if you do step back, it's it's uh, it's a big thing. Yeah, I, but you're right. I really don't think about it. I like to know it so that um, that I can share that because I think that's important. But I don't. I don't really think about it um, too much. Uh, I just know that we have a very important piece that we are connected with the community. Right. Exactly. Um, okay. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about the different services at TriStar in Hendersonville, and maybe even about your team? Yeah, I sure can. So uh, we've already you know, talked about us being our hospital, our community hospital, and uh, and so we have um, there, your your core basic services, but we have so much more here that we've offered and added over the last decade in particular. So, so from a bricks and mortar standpoint, we have our the the Tristar Medical Hendersonville Medical Center here, the main campus. Um, and then our Portland campus uh, up in Portland has an ER and outpatient imaging. We have 159 licensed beds uh, between the campuses here, uh, and we have a wide array of services all the way from uh, cardiology and orthopedics. We have a very significant uh, orthopedic program here. Um, we have GI and general surgery and vascular and, and, the bir- uh, and uh, birthing uh, center, you know. Yeah. Birthing center, yeah. yeah. The birthing center uh, was really something special. Uh, we've always birthed babies here at this hospital since we opened 41 years ago now. Yeah. But uh, in 2016, uh, we were able to open up uh, the freestanding birth center that's attached to the hospital, but at the back of the facility. And it is amazing. I've been through it. It's beautiful. It is beautiful, I have to say. And we have the, with that center, we have the, uh, opened up our neonatal intensive care unit, which uh, continues to be the only neonatal intensive care unit north of downtown Nashville. Uh, very, very proud of that service to bring to our to our families here in, in the community. 
Yeah. Uh, we have robotics is another thing I'd like to just mention mm-hmm. uh, because that's something really, really special for a community hospital. Uh, we have uh, robotic surgery. Uh, we have 12 surgeons who are trained robotically. Um, so we have a wide array of specialties and surgical uh, procedures that are covered under that, minimally invasive technology. Uh, so that's no, it was funny. I was going to ask you about that a little bit because we were talking off the air yeah. about my brother had a appendectomy last night in the middle of the night, and it was arthroscopic. So, and I had no idea yeah. that the things you guys can do because it's that recovery time, right? Because you're not cutting into all the that's tissue, right. and it just really is amazing. It is very amazing, and uh, yeah, it's pretty remarkable, to be quite honest. And someone who has been in the field for 42 years and at the bedside, to to see what I used to see for for a, a very <laughs> yeah. complicated oh my. surgery. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. The, the, just the, the sometimes the the operation itself is maybe more harmful than just the procedure. I guess I don't know. You know, it's. Right. Yeah, right. And so it's just incredible. So we're really pleased to be able to offer that. We have a comprehensive heart and vascular center that we just got open right before COVID started. And so we've had to close it back down a bit. But we have it sort of beginning to reopen uh, again now. And we're really, really um, happy and excited about that. Uh, We have a cardiology group here in Sumner County uh, Tennessee Heart and Vascular that was founded by Dr. Collister and Dr. Russo um, mm-hmm. and they've been serving this community for over 30 years and now their partners with them provide so much of the cardiac care in our community. You know and, and so it is funny is because be I think people they think oh it's heart surgery you're in you're out you do your thing and when you look yeah. at and I've had a chance to see your rehab center too if you see it's a full sort of it's a comprehensive thing it's not just the yeah. surgery, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. We have two cath labs, two special labs there. Uh, looking to add a third lab, hopefully hopefully into next year. Uh, we'll get past a little of this um, uh, of the, uh, of this uh, pandemic issue that we're all facing here. And, uh, but we look forward to more growth ahead. Um, we also have our breast imaging center, women's imaging center. That's in a retail location up, um, up in Hendersonville on Anderson Lane. Uh, so we have a, a wide array of services. We have over, over 700 employees that work for us, over, over 200 physicians uh, on our staff that, that are pretty, that are active uh, here. Um, we Last year, just from a give you an idea on volume, um, we had over 7,000 patient admissions last year. That was record. We have actually hit records in volumes for several years running. Yeah. That we have been able to provide more services for our community. Over a thousand births, over forty five hundred surgeries, over forty seven thousand ER visits. Um, so we we are we are here for our community. Wonderful. Well, we are up against our first break, uh, Regina. We're talking with Regina Bartlett, CEO of TriStar in Hendersonville and Portland. And we're going to come back with more of the program and talk about all of those things. And, and it seems to me, Regina, I, I would imagine not to dissuade any other hospitals in the area, but I do think people seek seek you out uh, to get away maybe from the rat race and the, the bigger things sometimes, just like you did. You were, you were attracted to that, that type of hospital. 
That's right. You're right. And, and the more the traffic gets on 65, yep. the better people want to stay home. <laughs> That's exactly right. So we'll be back with more of the program brought to you by FNM Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard right after these messages. FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. Welcome back to Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning, brought to you by FNM Bank. And our guest this morning, Regina Bartlett of TriStar Hendersonville and Portland. And Regina, how many patients do you serve maybe between all of your all of your properties a year uh, well yeah we have um well in our in our in our community and in the the area of our patients that come to us we serve about 170,000 uh population when you think about Sumner county and a little bit beyond um but patients that actually come to us uh, like for 2019 we had uh, we served over seven thousand patients that were admitted to us. Uh, we had a forty-seven thousand ER visits between oh here and our goodness. campus. Gosh. Yeah, over a, over a thousand births um, and more than forty-five hundred surgeries. Um, so so we have a we have a fair amount of our community who seek us out for care, which is wonderful. Wow. Well, it doesn't seem like a small community hospital when you're talking about those kind of numbers. My goodness. Uh, I agree. Yeah. But it still has a community feel, right? Yeah, All exactly. Well, yeah. And that's that's not easy to do. But, you know, you do have with your campuses, you know, call me crazy, but it's like there's a little more room to breathe, to be honest. And I'm, I'm not, again, I'm not dissuading the big city hospitals, but it's like some of them are so landlocked. It's like, geez, you know. Right. No, that's true. That's true. And, and I'll tell you here, um, you, you kind of get a little bit spoiled, I, I think, from the, that community that community feel from a standpoint of, say, let's just think about parking, right? Yep. Because parking here is, is kind of open. It's it's free. Yep. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's easy. Uh, and you go downtown to a, or anywhere to a large facility, and that, that's, that's just that's a hassle sometimes. Yeah. Well, you know one thing I do know, and, and you know, when you go in, you're going to know somebody. You just are. Yeah, I don't think I've ever right. I don't think and, I've ever walked and, in there and not met somebody I knew in the parking lot or something, you know. Yeah, isn't that isn't that great? And yeah. and to see people that you uh, have you're taking care of your neighbors and your family mm -hmm. and your friends. Yeah. And it's special. Yeah. And, and to be able to provide high quality care um, in an environment that is more like home is exactly what we uh, strive to do here. Yeah, and I think hopefully you saw that with the way the community responded to you and all the work you've done, uh, you've done during the, the COVID-19 and uh, the appreciation the community has tried to show back to you for what you guys have been doing. Uh, oh my goodness, <laughs> I, I, cannot, I cannot say enough about our community and our outreach from, from uh, folks just providing food and restaurants and churches and businesses and uh, I think Rachel still gets calls uh, about community organizations and, and just individuals wanting to, to provide things for our staff. So the appreciation has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Not to mention um, the, you know, the park-ins yeah. and all the signs and the waving and right. hi, are you guys good? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely. So I think it's a it's also a way of our community reaching out and making sure that they are connecting and because they want to do something too. And I and that's 
And well, I mean, you know, the reality well, is you take care of us, so we need to do the same and check on you guys once in a while. Well, done it very well. So, well, very, um, very so well. how have things, you know, we didn't, you know, everybody I think is so sick of talking about the darn pandemic, but, you know, we can't talk to you without at least bringing it up. And so how has that changed the way you guys handle patients and you know how did you prepare for this if you can even do that but it sounds you know compared to other places sumner county was pretty darn quick and ready and got things moving pretty go going pretty good yeah you're, you're absolutely right very proud of our response uh and I'll, I'll actually start with that uh with the with the with the fact that we saw it coming but we still didn't expect it to come if that makes sense i think yeah um, because when you saw this this begin to play out in china and the, and then the movement across the world to actually moving across the globe it still is almost surreal uh until it comes home you know uh and so even though we were we kind of saw it it's still like it's unprecedented it's just unprecedented and so when we started seeing cases uh, nationally, um, then uh, we got, of course, extremely serious about that and, and, and what, what do we need to do? Our company, from an HCA standpoint, again, I go back to a great company who stood up their emergency operations back in February, could have been even a little bit sooner than that. Mm -hmm. um, they are absolutely phenomenal in being able to provide emergency service to all of their hospitals and their team across the nation. Um, and so they started that work. And so they, we in turn in March, end of February, March, set up our own internal emergency operations center here. Uh, and we mobilized uh, mm -hmm. all of our teams together to start working on what, what do we need to do? Uh, because we didn't know what to expect, frankly. Right. Um, well, and you've been in this business quite a while, so I'm sure you have you know great relationships probably from all over. Um, was that helpful to you as you were you know preparing and getting ready for this kind of thing? Uh, oh, absolutely, absolutely. We have great connections and relationships with uh, with all of our community partners, in particular our EMS, Chief Miller, and our e Sumner County EMS teams. Ken Widener up at EMA, uh, Anthony Holt, our legislators, uh, we're all on deck and, and saying, what can we do? Um, Senator Hale and Johnny Garrett and uh, William Lambert. I, oh, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. It had just been phenomenal and great uh, from the get-go. So those are just community, though, and, uh, and legislative connections that are so important. Mm -hmm. um, but then uh, additionally, then with other hospitals in the region and uh, both HCA and non-HC hospitals just coming together and trying to figure this out. Right. Um, it, really has taken us all to do that for sure do you know um, how many uh, do you know how many people you you've treated for covid and and are there any there now or how's that going yeah yeah we we have never been without uh any patients since march uh we have gotten down to uh as low as one patient that's mm -hmm. been an inpatient uh and but we've been up as high as 15 16. Uh, and does that does that mean like admitted or just diagnosed? That, that means admitted. Okay. That means admitted. Okay. Yeah, because across uh, across the board, we have treated, tested, and treated over um, seven hundred and twenty-five individuals. Okay. Um, and yeah, and more than seventy of those have been positive. 
So through the course of, uh, of that, you know, two and a half months now, almost three months, um, we have had, had pretty consistently four to five patients on average that have been inpatients in the hospital at any one given time. Yeah. Well, this might, be a, this might be a little bit of an unfair question, but if, you know, the way it affects different people, some people, um, and I've got a few friends in, in the um, medical field, and for some people, this COVID thing, just worrying about it or whatever is almost debilitating. Is there things that you, you can um, share with people so that they're not so scared yeah, I, yeah, absolutely, I can. You know, if we moved into this um, and through what we what we see as this first uh, surge, if you will, first phase, uh-huh. uh, it has is created now as we're as we're kind of moving through a little more understanding of what we need to be doing to be safe. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always I will always refer folks to the CDC website for the latest information. But as we are beginning to reopen our, our, our communities, uh, what you what you want to do is you want to um, be just be thoughtful and be safe. Yeah. And by that I mean, if you're going to go out and you're going to be out and about, you need to practice distancing as best you can. You need to mask um, like the CDC is recommending. You need to practice diligent hand hygiene um, and just and if you're sick, stay home. Um, and just isolate yourself and just be aware. Yeah, really. especially um, with the elderly population, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And I, and I would like to mention something about that, too, because you hear um, about the high-risk populations, and that's absolutely true. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But everyone's at risk, so everyone needs to be diligent. Um, and what we're finding more and more as testing has become more prevalent is that we have so many uh, people who are asymptomatic uh, and they don't even know that they have the, the virus. Right. So that makes it very difficult um, to, to control and to maintain uh, and to maintain uh, you know, boundaries around it. But when you are thinking about um, the, 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 um, the predisposed population, of course you have older people mm-hmm. that are certainly more at risk but when that when the CDC says older, they're typically saying sixty and above. Right. So, so that that's broader than what a lot of people think when they think older. Yeah. So yeah. we need to think about that. And then they also say or anybody of an age with um, pre existing conditions or underlying medical conditions. And a lot of times I think people think that that's something like a, some kind of very big disease process or but that's really not the case. It really is a, the top comorbid or pre-existing condition that's being realized uh, with this is high blood pressure. No kidding. The second, the so, second so even uh, even stress is something to keep in mind. That that's right. That's right. That's right. So so pre-existing conditions when you think about that are things like high blood pressure and um, diabetes and obesity and cardiac disease. Mm-hmm. It's not something that is a big, uh, you know, right. unusual disease, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Well, as things are, are starting to open back up, and I know the governor's opened some things up, and, uh, you know, we sort of follow, uh, I know with the exception of Davidson and, and uh, over in Knoxville and in Memphis, you know, we're, we've been kind of going with the state, which means some elective surgeries have uh, been taking place yeah. again. And what have they done to, uh, you know, people need things done or they want things done but maybe they may be nervous and is there things that you've done to ensure that they're going to be safe so that they feel comfortable again coming to the hospital uh, absolutely and thank you for that because that's something i wanted to be sure and cover uh because it's a concern and it's scary and so right early on march april time frame um when we were just kind of finding our way through uh, what was the best thing to do, the right thing to do, the safe thing to do. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of concern early on about personal protective equipment and not having enough, uh, or we're gonna run out, and all those concerns that were there, and we were trying to move our, move our, ourselves through that. Right. Uh, so fortunately, fortunately, we have plenty of personal protective equipment. So, uh, so all of our staff are well protected and have everything that they need. Uh, and then additionally, as we have started reopening and, and bringing back uh, surgeries, elective routine surgeries, procedures, we started doing that very cautiously in the 1st of May, um, very, you know, very small, phased in. Mm-hmm. Um, so as we ended May, we were almost back to a surgical volume that we had last May. Well, so you know really what, great. to me, that speaks volumes about the comfortable, how they feel coming there and that it is safe. Yeah, that, that I think that that's really true. And then our physicians are a big part of that too. Uh, they are taking, of course, that very seriously. Uh, but when you come to the hospital now, currently, um, we you, you get screened at the front door when you come in. Uh, and so if you have symptoms or if you have a, a fever, uh, we will ask that you don't come in. Uh, and we, but then everyone who does come in has to be masked. And you will, if you don't have a mask, you'll be provided a mask mm-hmm. uh, and asked to wear that at all times uh, when you're here. Uh, we have a, we have reopened visitation just a little bit. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was going to be my next question. How does that work now? That, that, that's it was tough, tough to begin with, as, as we all know, but necessary. Uh, but now, um, because we have these safety measures in place, uh, we have some enhanced visitation back uh, to some degree for our normal med- medical surgical inpatients uh, that we, they can have one visitor with them during the existing hours that are they're still a bit prescribed from 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. every day. Uh, and they have to come through the front with the screening um, tools that are in place there for safety. Right. But we're really glad to be able to open that up a bit. Now, for our certain patients, ER patients still, uh, and then our patients who uh, are positive or uh, have other respiratory or isolation issues, we still are not uh, allowing visitation for those folks except under uh, you know exceptional circumstances right um but beginning to open that up a little bit and that's been nice well with the pandemic you know there's been some unemployment sadly um and everything was just going so great and so crazy and then boom you know they just kind of hit the brakes you know and maybe people don't have insurance coverage anymore i mean what does the hospital have some things that can help people yeah, we absolutely do. And actually, uh, through HCA, we have historically 
had always had uh, financial hardship policies, charity policies in place. They're very generous. Um, so that those have been in place and have just become even more uh, more beneficial as we move in into uh, into this. Uh, but the other thing that we have available is we have a our company has set up a hotline. Mm-hmm. Uh, for our public to call uh, that can call in if they've lost insurance just to have some guidance right. because it is a very difficult thing to traverse through uh, if you're trying to find insurance on some of the exchanges that are available right. or, or you, you have to, experts yeah. there they know what to look and where to help you and yeah and that actually is information that's on our website TrustMarkHendersonville.com is that information that's there. We have a COVID-19 site uh, that certainly I'd refer anybody to uh, that has that uh, that number. Uh, I certainly can give you that number uh, mm-hmm. here. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and it is, yeah, it is. So if anybody needs help in finding health insurance or needs questions answered, they can call 833-541-5757. Uh, and that will be free, personalized guidance uh, to try to help them think about and help them get uh, in the direction they need to go for that. It's a scary thing. Right, exactly. Folks. Well, we talked a little bit about, you know, the staff and the sentiments and the, and the first responders and, and the communities, you know, you know, thanking you for all of that. Um, do you, uh, and we talked even about, you know, what the community can do to protect themselves and to, to get through this. If someone's worried that they might have COVID-19, what do you, what should they do? Yeah. So if they are really symptomatic, uh, and when you think about symptomatic, you, you got the regular, uh, CDC guidance on symptoms and that's changed over time. Mm-hmm. That's gotten uh, a little more specific around things that are unusual, like loss of taste and smell right. as an example. Right. Um, but those, those, those same things that have always been there, like cough, shortness of breath, high fever, um, anything of those significant symptoms, um, then I would say you need to seek medical attention, come to the ER, call your doctor. Is that what they, uh, they should just go doctor. to the ER or call first, call the doctor yeah. first? Yeah, or, or call, yeah, call the doctor, go to urgent care, uh, and they get direction if they call the physicians. Now, most of our physician clinics are back open now. Okay. Uh, of course, uh, originally they were mostly closed or going through tele- telemedicine, and uh, most of our physicians still have some of that available if yeah. the telehealth and telemedicine visits are still uh, necessary. But the other thing I would say on if you just feel like you might be sick or you just might think you might have been exposed possibly to someone who is positive, but you feel fine, um, then I would refer folks to the Tennessee Department of Health website because they keep a current listing of all of the uh, testing sites yeah, so uh, they could. Uh, do those kind of rotate still? I know they were kind of moving them around a little. You know, I, I'm not quite sure about that now exactly. Yeah. But they, they um, do have a, they do have a current stuff. list. I think they even have dates and times and locations and all that. They do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. They do. Uh, and then additionally, um, some some of our urgent cares uh, do also provide testing uh, for for uh, for that. Uh, actually, our care now 
that's here in Hendersonville um, has both the um, COVID testing as well as antibody testing available. Oh, uh, if, okay. Um, well, that's if, probably if becoming that. more available yeah. now, isn't it, the antibody? That's right. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. And that's a, that's going to be a very interesting uh, thing to, to be will. able to start getting it. And, and I think it is yeah. helping other people. You know, hopefully that'll, Absolutely. you know, it's more of a bigger picture kind of look, I think, isn't it? It, it, it is. And it's really important. It's important to, just for your own self-knowledge, have you really been exposed to this virus or not? Yeah. Um, just just because it's good to know. But secondly, it's really good for for um, uh, research to be able for, for medical experts to really give them an idea of how much this is prevalent in our society and we don't even know it. Yeah, or, re- um, or recurrence that, of and those kind of things. Right, right. That yeah. bears a, a lot into uh, what we learn about this disease because there's still so much about it that we do not know. Yeah. Um, and so that's very helpful for that. The other thing I would say on uh, antibody testing, uh, one of the emerging treatments that's been proven to be um, uh, have promise. Mm-hmm. is what we call convalescent plasma therapy. Hmm. And uh, essentially what that is, is it's, uh, it's plasma that has been donated by patients who have recovered from the virus. And so, so they have antibodies in their plasma. And so that plasma can be administered to uh, currently ill patients. Oh. And we're beginning to see okay. some real good success with that treatment. Yeah, That's- so... So I would say um, that uh, to our listeners there, if anyone has has been positive and recovered, uh, to consider giving plasma to uh, you know blood uh, blood assurance or uh, one of those uh, uh, Red Cross uh, mm-hmm. entities uh, to to help in that treatment. Yeah. Well, the, the you know we know two things about that disease. One, it's sneaky and it's very contagious. We do know that. <laughs> it, it is absolutely those things. Yeah. yeah. And for unfortunately, a few, it can it's deadly. Right. Yes. Right. Well, Regina, we've learned a lot. Uh, Regina Bartlett, CEO of TriStar Hendersonville and uh, Portland, and and gosh, I hope we get to have you back because this was really cool and we we enjoyed talking with you today. Uh, uh, I would love to do that. Yeah, I can, talk, I can talk about what we do all day long here. I can talk about my great team all day. There you go. Well, then let's not even get into kids or grandkids. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no, I have to tell you. That's another show, right? Well, okay, another story. Okay, well, can I tell you one thing real quick? Oh, no, no, I was so. just teasing you. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so we're we're Disney fans. Uh-huh. I have one uh, one granddaughter, my daughter and son-in-law, and her live here in Hendersonville too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're really fortunate for that. But so we're Disney cruisers. Mm-hmm. So we had a Disney cruise coming up here. We were leaving in about three weeks now, and of course that's been yeah. That's operative word table. is we're leaving. <laughs> we're right, right. So we do the countdown. So, so we we got it rescheduled till next July. So my little granddaughter has started started her new countdown. It's like 420 days oh, or gosh. something like that. <laughs> Boy, that might be a lifetime for her. That's going to be tough. You're going to uh, grandma's going to grandma's going to have to get some special birthday and Christmas presents to keep that shorter. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that was, I think that is true. Yeah. yeah, it's a lifetime for me too. I'll have to go. Yeah. Well, Regina, thanks a bunch. Stay healthy. Thank everyone there for us for taking such good care of us here in Sumner County. We sure appreciate it.
Thank you so much. And it's been, it's been a privilege and an honor. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Thank you. you take care. And that is going to wrap it up for Sumner County Spotlight for this week. We went a little long, but it's been great because we had two phenomenal guests, Pete Weber, the voice of the National Predators, and Regina Bartlett, CEO of TriStar in Hendersonville and in Portland. We really appreciate them taking the time out of their very busy schedules to chat with us today. And we're looking forward to talking to you again next week, Sunday morning, 10 a.m., right here on WHIN. For Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you exclusively by FM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville, and also at myfmbank.com. Take care and God bless. Sumner County Spotlight has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, or even home mortgages, FNM Bank can provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myfmbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.